This is an exclusive presentation of WoWo 1190 AM and 1075 FM, giving you an in-depth look at all the stories, events, and topics that show how our officers serve and fight for our community every single day, unholstered. The time has come, finally. <laughs> We are talking about constitutional carry here in the state of Indiana. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome on in here to Unholstered. My name is Kayla Blakesley. I am one of your hosts here on the show alongside my co-host, Sophia. Good morning, everyone. My name is Captain Sophia Rosales-Catina. I am with the Fort Wayne Police Department, and welcome to the show Unholstered. This is the show all about the local media, which is me, has teamed up with our local police department here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is Sophia, to talk about all of the stories that don't often get talked about or told when it comes to backing our men and women in blue. And today, Sophia, that is where we're starting uh, when it comes to constitutional carry here in the state of Indiana and or uh, repealing the state's handgun permit requirement. Uh, we'll get more into that, but I want to just start out the show by saying I've gotten a lot of crap, and I'm going to be that blunt about it. I don't usually use that word yeah. on the radio, but I've gotten a lot of it over the last couple of weeks when it comes to this particular uh, a topic. People don't think I'm allowing you the opportunity to voice the side of the Fort Wayne Police Department or just law enforcement in general. When it comes to this particular legislation. So now that we are having the conversation, I feel like I can finally say that's not true. <laughs> it isn't true. And this has been this show has been a long time coming, but schedules yes. of guests are tricky sometimes. And we've had to schedule, reschedule um, and kind of find space for this show um, because it, there's a lot of information. And we had to make sure that what we were what we were dealing with, something that was dead in the water or something that was exactly. passing. So, I mean... If we're not going to if it doesn't pass and we really it's it's kind of a moot point. It at was. That point. And, and that's the thing, too, with this legislation. It's been ever evolving. I mean, let's be honest here. This is this reared its head back in 2017. OK, right. this, this has been an ongoing uh, piece of legislation for years here in the state of Indiana. And you and I didn't want to come on and talk about it when, like you said, there were so many moving parts to this. So we are here today having the conversation and you've brought in an outstanding guest to have the conversation. I have. We are actually fortunate enough to be able to go down um from our department and speak to both the Senate and uh, the state legislature to on this bill in particular. And two of the people that went down there were detectives uh, Mark Deshays and detective Matt Foote. Both are with a gang violent crime unit. And they did a remarkable job down there. Their testimony was very on point. It was very concise. It was very informative. Unfortunately, um, it didn't really... Uh, make the mark on the legislature that we had hoped for. So I'm going to let Mark kind of introduce himself and who he is and what he's all about and what he testified to, and then we'll get rolling here on the questions. I'm Mark Deshays. I'm a detective with the Fort Wayne Police Department, and I work with the Gang Violent Crime Unit. I've been on the department now uh, 17 years and have the last eight years with gang violent crime, which focuses obviously on gang issues as well as any violent crime, gun-related crime within the city of Fort Wayne. Hence, that's why you were selected to go down for the Senate and House hearings on this legislation, right? Correct. We just have a prominent viewpoint on gun legislature as it impacts our community and the levels of violence within our community. And specifically, that's what we see and deal with majoritively on a day-to-day -day basis. Mark, what I'm hoping we can do here is just kind of take a walk back in time with me, if you will, because there could be some folks listening who have no idea what we're talking about. They might not be aware of House Bill 1077 or what constitutional carry is or the the permit requirement in the state of Indiana. So can you just kind of walk us back, you know, over the last 
about what, since 2017 uh, when this legislation first came about, what it is, what its goal is, and maybe kind of walk us through how it's changed a little bit over the last five-ish years? Sure. So constitutional carry is the push that there is an inherent constitutional right to bear a firearm by any person without any government intercession. And the belief is that the permitting process that the state has could possibly infringe upon your constitutional right to bear bear arms or bear a firearm. The state of Indiana currently allows you to carry any long gun without any sort of permitting process. So you can carry a long gun like a rifle or a shotgun anywhere without any sort of permitting process. The permit handgun permitting process only is in reference to handguns, and it's only in reference to you carrying handguns outside of your home or fixed place of business or properly secured within an inaccessible compartment within your vehicle. So this only the permit only covers you carrying a handgun on or about your person outside of those places, so to and from areas, carrying a handgun on your person as you go through your day-to-day events. Uh, and the permit process in the state of Indiana is actually a shall-issue state, which means Indiana will give you a permit unless you are a prohibited person from carrying a handgun within the state of Indiana. And those prohibiting factors are all spelled out within the law mm-hmm. specifically, and that's prior felonies that would prohibit you from carrying a handgun, uh, prior drug convictions, lying on your applications, uh, mental adjudications for being mentally defective, uh, some sort of some domestic uh, convictions prohibit you from carrying a handgun, prior juvenile adjudications can prohibit you. Uh, so those sort of things are all spelled out within this within the state law and also within federal law and prohibit you from carrying a handgun. And the permitting process was just a check and balance system that allowed citizens to be checked prior to carrying a handgun, and as long as they weren't a prohibited person, they were issued a handgun by the state of Indiana. That is where the law was Correct. until about a week or so ago at this point. Walk us through what happened with this legislation, starting with House Bill 1077. So originally, like, this bill has been—they've attempted to pass this bill for several years, starting in, like, 2017, I believe— and 1077 was the latest iteration of the bill to to be pushed, and so we went down to speak at the house in the house in Indianapolis on 1077 in January, and to testify as representatives for the law enforcement community out of Fort Wayne, uh, as well as uh, some other organizations that wanted us to testify in their behalf. So we presented our testimony at the house. Uh, meeting for 1077 and it passed through the house and then we also presented our testimony at the senate hearing just last month in indy where it was the bill was actually changed slightly uh by the by the senate and what they did basically is said instead of eliminating the permit system we find that there's value within the permit system we're going to eliminate or essentially give you a grace period to get your fingerprints which seems to be Mm -hmm. the only issue within it yeah, so first of all, Sophia, were you there for any of the hearings? Did you go down? I did not. You no. did not go down? No. All right, let's 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 talk about—let's break some of this down, okay? I think you're right. That is a big issue that a lot of—I'm um, going to say pro-2A people— which, again, I know you both are pro-2A, so let's, right. let's be very—as <laughs> am I. Let's, let's get yes. that out of the way. Uh, but I know that's a big issue that people were coming to bat with, is that it takes so long to actually—you know, you apply for this permit, and then it takes so long to get your fingerprints and to actually be— granted said permit 
Is that the case or was that the case, especially at least with COVID? I'm sure the numbers were pretty high at one point in terms of a backlog. Well, I think initially when kind of like the problem started to rear their head was during this two year, this previous two years, when yeah. we had just an influx of people going to get their carry permit. Um, and I think there was a lot of issues surrounding that in the past two years that we've had that kind of were catalysts for that. But in, I've noticed during that year, you know, they were having trouble scheduling the fingerprints. Mm-hmm. Those fingerprints were really way out because they were, they were privatized. So we were having private companies, and there were only a few here around Fort, the Fort Wayne area that were actually doing them. And it took them a, weeks sometimes to, to even get an appointment. Um, so I think that just started creating a really a backlog here. And then people were raising some issues with that. And I get that. But it doesn't refute the constitutionality of the permit. It, we're just talking about logistics. The logistics were, were bad. So as I've stated previously before, and a lot of things we've talked about, we don't throw out the system because one mechanism within that system is is not working. Mm-hmm. Let's fix what we have. And I think there are ways we could do that, but didn't pan out that way. Has the system improved at all since there is there less of a backlog again, I guess, since COVID or is it still an issue? So, I mean, Fort Wayne has the benefit of being a very large city. I mean, we're 260,000 within the city limits, plus or minus. And the city of Fort Wayne is responsible for all city residents' permits. And the county is obviously, Allen County Sheriff's Department would then pick up all the county residents. Uh, When we were asked to go down in January for the House bill, I have two daughters. And one of them is 19. And uh, she happened to be home from school for Christmas break. So I called her and I said, you know, I need you to test bed this for me. Get online, apply for your permit, call me back when you're done. And 15 minutes later, she's like, done. And I said, well, did you schedule your fingerprints? So she applied the paper application yeah. or the electronic application online. She was able to complete in 15 minutes. And then she said, yeah. She goes, I scheduled my fingerprints. I could get them done tomorrow, Dad, but I have to work tomorrow, so I'm going to get them done Friday. Oh, wow. She had an appointment that early. So, yeah. So from start to finish, as of January, the time process could have been crunched down into, like, less than 24 hours. She completes her application process at 9 p.m., and she's able to get into fingerprinting the next day Mm -hmm. and just chose a different day based on her availability. So... The process here has been greatly uh, reduced. There is no backlog. But, I mean, I could imagine that in smaller rural areas, it might not have been that way. So when the House looked at 1070 or when the Senate looked at 1077 and the chair, uh, the chair for the Senate committee was uh, Liz Brown. Mm -hmm. When she looked at it, when they passed, when they looked at this bill, they, they said, let's keep the gun permit the way it is, because this is an ethical system to keep guns out of violent people's hands, but let's create a grace period for getting your fingerprints so that if you apply for it and you're not able to schedule in fingerprints for weeks or a month, you can still carry a handgun in that interim. So when the Senate subcommittee passed this bill through, they passed it as no change to the gun permitting system. We're keeping what we have that works, but we're going to create a 180-day grace period, whereas if you've applied and you're not a prohibited person, you will be allowed to carry within that grace period Mm -hmm. until such time as you can schedule in your fingerprints and get them completed. But that can go through, right? 
well, then they essentially circumvented that. Mm -hmm. They didn't like what that had done to the original bill, so they basically took the entire language of the original bill out of 1077. They abandoned it, and they put it into, I think it's House Bill 1296. Which is like a medical drug uh, bill, right? It was a drug classification bill. Drug classification. Okay. Basically stuck it under another number. Yeah, and and let's be clear, too. Politicians do this all the time. It's dirty pool. Yes. It is dirty. Whether you are on the right or you are on the left, it really doesn't matter. Politicians do this all the time. They'll take out language from a failed bill and shove it in another one to try and get it passed. And that is exactly what happened. And they even, they even, they made no bones about it. They even said, we've heard enough testimony about this. Mm-hmm. that we're just going to continue on. And it was, well, your testimony, none of it was favorable. Can I be honest with you, though, Mark? Let me just say this from a political point of view here. I did appreciate the no bones made about it because yes. most time politicians do try to sneak it and they're acting like they didn't do it. At least in this case, I felt like the whole world knew it was dirty pool here. Mm-hmm. Correct. So I suppose at least anyone who's following this does know that that is what happened. Right. But I want to go back to... Uh, something you said that you that you said that this is a checks and balance system, the permit process as it I'm going to say was I guess currently still is, but we'll get into that later. But explain that to a listener right now who's listening. Uh, what what you mean by a checks and balance system for law enforcement? So we obviously were defenders of the Constitution, but you know there are slight infringements that are allowed to be put onto the constitutional rights, and like the best example would be voting. You know you have a constitutional right to vote, but you have to have an ID to vote. So there's a slight requirement in order for you to uh, vote, and that is found upheld by the Supreme Court that those sort of things, especially when dealing with such dangerous items as firearms are reasonable within the law. And so the Indiana permitting process doesn't have any requirements of the person. There's no requirement that you have handgun training. There's no requirement that you lock it up. There's no requirement that you understand how they work. There's no requirement that you're six foot two. There's nothing. Mm -hmm. There's just no requirements. Essentially, the handgun permitting system is a check system. It says, submit your information. We're going to ensure... That you are not a prohibited person because the prohibited person category is very long. It's very spelled out. And there is no other way, to my knowledge, that a regular person off the street can find out if they are a prohibited person. None. There is no way you can just call. You can't call the police department and ask them for this. You can't call a firearms dealer and ask them to do this. This is the only method that tells you. Are you prohibited from carrying a Mm -hmm. firearm by definition of law? And so as long as you aren't, what do we do? Indiana shall issue you a permit. Now, they've waived the fees for permits in the last year. I want to talk about that, too. (laughs) And that waiver of fees was to help, you know, sway people that felt that it was a constitutional infringement to have to pay for it. So they waived the fees. So now permits are now free. It's a free permit. Apply for it. Ensure that you're not a prohibited person. We issue you a card, a permit, that tells law enforcement or anyone that checks that you have been cleared of being a prohibited person. Now, why is it a check and balance system? It's a check and balance system because if any time in the interim, let's say a year down the road, you somehow run left or right of the law or you have some qualifier that prohibits you now, the Indiana State Police constantly checks that. And if something changes in your status, they send you a notice. And now you know that your status has changed, and there's a remediation for that. You can go and appeal that status change and have it heard 
So now you have not only a check and balance system, but a remediation Mm. for if there's a problem. Mm -hmm. So those are all huge benefits. And just to give you some numbers, Kayla, like in the city of Fort Wayne last year in 2021, so we're dealing with over a quarter million people within the city limits. And in 2021, we had approximately 5,788 gun permits applied for, somewhere in that ballpark. So we're dealing with just around 6,000 gun permits applied for in the city of Fort Wayne in 2021. So out of those applicants last year, almost 700 were denied. So that is staggering. That's 14% of applicants. That's only people that wanted a gun permit. We're not talking about the population as a whole. That's just people that wanted a gun permit. 14% were denied, which puts them in a category where they would not have known that they were either a prohibited person or they did something wrong. So essentially, there's no harm to them. The Fort Wayne Police Department doesn't charge them with anything. They send them a, a rejection notice and says, no, you're not, you, you're not qualified to do this. Here is why, if you feel that it's an error, you can petition the state to correct that. So 14%, 700 people would have been carrying a gun under this permitless carry. That, would, yeah. Yeah, that would, shouldn't have been. And they didn't know. And they didn't know. That's the thing. So and they don't know until we're, they're carrying and we're... We're now knee-deep in this investigation, and now they're going to get arrested because they're a prohibited person, but they had no idea that they were. And the system works. I, um, I, I re- Not recently. It was a few years ago, but I got a summons to appear at this, for the state police um, on a gun permit. Apparently, someone I had arrested years ago had applied for a gun permit, had been denied, but had pretty much righted himself over the next course of probably five to 10 years, he re-petitioned for a gun permit and I had to go down for a hearing and the judge heard his side, the judge heard my side and he was given a gun permit. Uh, he had, he had righted himself. He had had no trouble with the law um, in the, for about 10 years and he wanted that gun permit now and they allowed him to have that at that time because he had proven himself that he had hmm. righted his wrongs and he had not been in any trouble and and everything like that. So there are mechanisms and they work. Uh, that's what we're here to say. The, there's nothing, the system that we had in place, it, it's not wrong. It's, it, you know, maybe some logistical parts of that system were, were bad, but it's not the whole system. A couple of things. I, going back to just kind of being a checks and balance system, I know at least from a law enforcement perspective, it's also kind of used as, I'm going to call it a screening tool because I don't know what else to call it, a screening tool, right? When you go to maybe pull someone over or you go to serve a warrant on a home, you are able to look up if someone is a permit holder. Or- yes. So that's available within the state database, uh, whether they are a if they're permitted to carry a handgun within the state, that doesn't even that doesn't necessarily mean that they even own a handgun. There's a lot of people that have permits. Uh, let's say they live with somebody that maybe has a handgun, so they permit themselves as well. So just to cover in case like a firearm was left oh, in a vehicle. I guess I didn't realize. And so there that. there are a lot of people. I mean, we routinely encounter people. We you know that say I have a gun permit, I don't own a firearm. Uh, so there are other manners or other reasons why you might have a permit. As well, so that it does it does have that in there, but it doesn't change anything about the constitutionality of possessing a firearm. We have to remember that the gun permit really only deals with handguns outside your home or fixed place of business. Or if I went to your house and you said, "Mark, you can carry a handgun on my property," I give you permission. Uh, then that that's enough. I don't need a handgun permit mm-hmm. to do those scenarios. It really only covers you in that travel and moving around in general populace. And private businesses are still allowed to say, we do not right, want handguns yeah. on our property. And they can make that 
criteria as well as the other areas such as schools that are denied areas government facilities some of the courts and other areas that have that are completely denied access for handguns as well so we're just dealing with a small segment and all we're dealing with is whether you have already been checked to ensure your legality to do such no other criteria that's it and you know those local checks really go to a lot of the mental health uh, those aren't checks. There's no national database for mental health. Um, those, all those checks and balances that we're talking about happen at the local level. Um, so if you're going to be denied on the basis of some kind of mental health issue, that's probably going to happen more at the local level than it ever will anywhere else. So we really got to take a hard look now at what is our national database and what is that going to now include to make sure hmm. we're not missing those mm-hmm. people that shouldn't have the gun. And like I've said before on this show... Not all mentally ill people know, know or understand that they're mentally ill. Mm-hmm. They, it, it's, it's one of those things where I may be mentally ill. I'll take my medication for a while. I feel better. I feel all better. I'm going to stop taking my meds. And now because I'm not sick anymore. But now I know when, not, when I don't take my meds then right. I get sick again, it's that cycle. So I think we have to be really careful here when, when we're talking about this of just do, do the people who, like I said, like he said, do they even know they're prohibited? Right. And what are we going to do about mental illness? So now, though, where the law stands currently with the legislation that was passed, what does that do for law enforcement? Oh, it puts a huge burden on law enforcement, which is unfortunate because, you know, this is something majority of law enforcement is is very uh, supportive of gun legis- of gun law of gun yeah, rights. I want to really emphasize that because what's unfortunate about this is it it, it it reared its head into this thing where all of a sudden it's like law enforcement is anti your Second Amendment right, which could not be further from the truth, by the way. And I feel like it just turned into it's like law enforcement versus Republicans. So I just really want to emphasize what you yeah, just said. It's, it's a terrible feeling to sit there and try to argue something that you inherently have a passion to support. Right. You know, so, I mean, I, I, I live in the rural area of Fort Wayne and we shoot. And my family has grown up with firearms present. My daughter's are incredibly competent uh, with safety mechanisms within firearms and how to handle them properly. And we feel like that's a fundamental thing that they have to understand in their lives. So, you know, when we're going down there, we don't want to purport that we're going down there to be anti-Second Amendment. That's the farthest thing from the truth. We feel that this is the smallest intrusion into that to guarantee safety for everybody. And this, and that's what we're asking. We're, we're we're looking at it, and we're saying the courts support this. The Supreme Court supports this. All we're saying is this is a mechanism that allows us to keep guns out of people that are prohibited's hands. Now, of the the politicians want to say this doesn't stop criminals from from handling guns, and we're like, yes, you're absolutely right. Criminals break laws. We don't stop laws just because criminal break criminals break laws. What this does is it gives us a powerful tool to stop criminals when we do have them. And that's where we're going to we're dropping the ball on this, because right now, when you get if we were to stop somebody on a traffic stop and they say, officer, I have a handgun in the car. It's on my hip. It's in my center console. It's on the floor, wherever I have my gun permit right here. That gun permit is a per se statement by the government that you've already been checked. Mm -hmm. It, sh- it alleviates 
immediately the burden on law enforcement that there is necessarily a crime afoot just with the presence of any sort of firearm. It says, no, this person has been checked by the government. They have gone through the governmental check that says they're not prohibited to carry a firearm, and we can immediately check that and pass them through on their way without any other intrusion. But now it will be a burden on law enforcement, right, if you pull over someone— and it, they do have a firearm. It can be. There still will be criteria that will require that we suspect a crime be afoot uh, for us to further that investigation. We'll have to have some sort of reasonable suspicion that something else is going on. But if we were hypothetically to pull over somebody and see a lengthy criminal history on just a background check, and we were to think this appears that this person might be prohibited, we might now be entering into a 30-, 40-, 50-minute investigation just to see if they're a prohibited person to pre- that like would prevent Like just at a traffic stop, for example. Correct. So, or any kind of encounter. So what could have maybe been an eight-minute encounter is now potentially a 40, Correct. 50 With very encounter. burdensome, intrusive checks. This, There is no database that has this information. We're talking prior juvenile adjudications. We could have had a child that was involved in a very serious crime that would have prevented them from getting a handgun permit for statutory time. And that now, the second they turn 18, they'd be allowed to carry a handgun without any knowledge. Right. We don't have access to juvenile records. And as of the last few years, you know, the violence is becoming—the people doing the violence is becoming younger and younger. And with those records sealed, like he says, we don't have access to those. Those checks would have covered that, and we would be okay. Those checks do cover that. And those checks cover the mental, mental adjudications. Those checks cover— domestic violence crimes that would only be at a misdemeanor level but would prohibit you from carrying a handgun. Mm -hmm. Those checks, you know, cover drug and alcohol abuse, chronic drug and alcohol abuse that would prohibit you from covering. Those checks cover all those things. They also cover felonious charges that could be out of state, elsewhere. You have to remember that not all states comply with reporting consistently. So we could go, you know, Chicago, Cook County tends to be our biggest antagonist when we're looking at prior charges. You know, it's very burdensome to get any sort of information out of the Cook County system just because it's so overwhelmed with information. And so we they may not even report all their charges oh, on a day-to-day basis. Think about, I didn't think about yeah, that. Yeah, we're, we're nomadic people, right? Yep. We, travel. we travel. We come yep. in, mm-hmm. and Fort Wayne, unfortunately, is like the midpoint between Chicago, Detroit— Cincinnati, all those mm-hmm. larger areas where we see really big high numbers of drugs and guns, we're, we're in the mid-center of that. Here's the thing, Sophia. i got to stop both of you. We are already out of time. Mark. Of course, <laughs> of course right? <laughs> Happens to us every week. Can we get you to come back? Sure. I feel like we didn't even touch the tip of the iceberg. No, there's a lot more to cover. <laughs> there's a lot more to cover. Can we, can we do it again next weekend and continue this conversation? Of course. All right. Sounds good. So for now, Sophia... You're not even going to talk either. Uh, If you've missed any episodes, any previous episodes of Unholstered, you can download us anywhere you can download a podcast. Your town, your team, your topics. This is Unholstered. Thanks for listening to Unholstered. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And remember, you can listen every Saturday morning at 1030 on WoWo 1190 and 1075 FM. Podcasts by Federated Media.